Friends, today we are concluding our series, Money Talks. I hope this has been a time for you, as it has for me, to ask the serious question, if our money could talk, what would it say? If you follow your spending, for example, if you follow your financial investments, what would it tell you about you? And as we said throughout the series, many of us don't really even want to actually know what it would tell us. Because if it did, it would feel like a disappointment. Or worse, it would reveal what our hearts actually really want. And what our hearts really often want is stuff. And so in part one of our series, we wrestle with the idea of greed. Assuming that everything that comes our way is for our consuming. In part two, we learn that all of us have been trusted with something. Some with lots and some with very little. But what we learn is that the amount is not what matters. It's what we do with the amount we've been trusted with. And finally, last week, we looked at the fact that we most often take care of ourselves. We take care of ourselves first. And then if there's anything left over, then maybe we are generous. But we're only generous with our leftovers. But Jesus wanted it to flip the script. And he wanted us to be generous first and then take care of ourselves. And so what we have been, what we discovered in the past three messages is that money would remind us that it is a much better means than an end. The heart of the matter is, well, it's your heart. And if you set your heart on stuff, you will likely have stuff. In fact, if you make money an end, you may end up alone. But using money as a means to an end is what makes money meaningful. We said money can add meaning to your life, but it is not the meaning of your life. What we learn is that money as a tool can do a lot of good. But when it takes over, when it becomes the hope of your heart, it can bring destruction. It can leave you alone, alienated and frustrated. The aim of your heart indicates your true desires. So if you want to live a meaningful life, and I know you do. I mean, we all do, right? We all want to have meaning and significance. And we know this is true just based on popularity of social media. We all want to be connected. We all kind of want to be seen, to be known, to be heard. So if you want to live a meaningful life, you have to figure out how to become a means to an end. You have to come up with a way of being a means to an end that goes beyond you. And here's what we're going to discover. When you decide to be a means to an end, your money becomes a means rather than an end. And you will begin to view all your money. You'll begin to view all your resources. You'll begin to view your net worth. You'll begin to view everything as a tool. And this is exactly, and again, we shouldn't be surprised by this. This is exactly what Jesus taught in one of his parables. Now, parables are simply stories Jesus told to communicate important principles and lessons on how or how not to live. So we find this story in Luke's gospel. Now Luke, Luke was a first century doctor who actually got the information about the life of Jesus and put it all in an orderly chronological account for his first century audience. And it was so valuable to the church, they meticulously copied it and eventually it was collected with some other New Testament documents and became part of the New Testament, which became part of the Bible. And so Luke, who thoroughly investigated all things, records for us several of Jesus' parables. One of them is a parable about money 
and possessions. So we read, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So there's this rich guy who has so much to manage that he couldn't manage it all himself. In fact, he had so much to manage that he hired a manager who bought and sold and traded in his name. And he got wind to the fact that this manager was doing deals on the side or doing something dishonest that made him very nervous. So Jesus continues. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. See, the rich man is upset. You're not doing what I have hired you to do. You're not honest. You're wasting my resources. You're wasting my money and my possessions. You're wasting my life's hard work. So he fires him. But notice it's not a, an immediate firing. I don't know, maybe he's part of a union or something. I don't really know. But the manager gives him two weeks notice. Well, to be fair, we don't know how many days or weeks he given him. But he gave him a little bit of time to get things in order. And the manager said to himself, and this is a key word here. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. What shall I do? He wasn't expecting this. He's been caught. What should I do now? My master's taken away my job and I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm kind of an inside guy and I'm ashamed to beg. Like I have my pride. And suddenly he finds himself, the guy in this parable, with a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity to figure out where he's going to go and if anybody's going to even take him in. So he thinks about it and he comes up with an idea. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll use this little bit of time that I have in the way that will help me because this is all about time now. This is really crucial. He says, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he comes up with this plan to make sure that when he's no longer employed by this rich guy, he has some place to go and someone to go to. So here's the plan he comes up with. So this is Jesus telling his parable. And he says, so he called in each one of his master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Okay, and his master probably had a lot of people that had debts to him, right? So he had a lot of debtors. But Jesus just gives this illustration of two of them. But the point is he called all the people he had been doing business with. And so he asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? And this, this guy says, well, I owe your master 900 gallons of olive oil. And the manager told him, okay, take your bill, sit down quickly before anyone else finds out. Quick now, because I don't have much time. I need to make sure I take good advantage of my limited time to make sure I have somewhere to go and someone to go to. So sit down quickly and make it 450. Cut it in half. Now, I know this makes us feel a bit mixed up right off the bat. And everybody in Jesus' audience, they would have had mixed emotions as well. If you're on the owing side, it's like, holy cow, this is great. What a good deal. I owed 900. Now I only have to pay half. Now people on the rich side of things would be like, what a crook. No wonder he needs to, to let this guy go. He's so dishonest. So this manager cuts the bill in half. And the guy who owed so much is no surprise, super thankful. He's like, this is amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you ever need anything, call me. To which the manager is like, yeah, I'll do that. Jesus continues. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe my master? 
A thousand bushels of wheat, he replies. And he tells him, okay, take your bill and now make it 800. Cut it down. To, to which this guy is thankful too. And I'm sure he was like, well, hey, if there's anything I can do for you, just let me know. To which the manager would say, don't worry. You may be hearing from me sooner than you think. And the implication is he did this over and over and over. Because Jesus in the parable said he went to each one of the people who he had done business with and he settled the accounts so he could have all the accounts finalized. But he gave everybody these huge, huge discounts. Now in the parable, when his boss, when the rich guy, when the master finds out, because the master always finds out, the master and everybody in Jesus' audience is now thinking, okay, oh man, this guy's going to get in trouble. He's going in jail. This guy's going to be executed. Like he's in huge trouble here. And if you, not heard, if you have not heard this parable before, you might be thinking the same thing. It's a confusing message so far. But Jesus knew how to get his first century and sometimes his 21st century audience to lean in and to be just confused enough to have the category scrambled just enough to where we have to pay attention and ask the question, what is he trying to say in this story? Because in every parable, there's someone who represents God. And in every parable, there's someone who represents the people in Jesus' audience. Us, people reading this now. There's someone who represents God. And there's someone who represents you. There's someone who represents me. And the people in Jesus' first century audience assumed the dishonest money manager is about to get into big trouble. And if that's where you thought this was going, as I thought it was going back when I first read this, this story, we are wrong. We are all wrong because the text says the master commended. That is, he complimented. That is, he found out what happened and he actually gave the manager a compliment as if he, he almost approved of his actions. And the text says that Jesus said in the story, in order to make a real point, he said the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. He commended him in the parable because this guy thought it through. He thought it through with the future in mind. He thought it through with his limited opportunity and his limited time in mind. He thought it through with his own future in mind. And of course, Jesus' audience may be like you, confused, because how is being shrewd like this actually good, right? Like, wait a minute, we're so confused. He should be in trouble, but you're telling us you're telling us the wealthy guy actually commended the dishonest money manager? Like, really, what's going on here? So Jesus has them and us right where he wants us. And Jesus begins to teach the lesson he wants the audience to know, which is that in the kingdom of heaven, the way that God views wealth, the way he views money and possessions, is different than the way we view it. And here's how he views it. And this is the lesson. This is the actual takeaway. This is the application of the parable of the unjust, dishonest money manager. So Jesus pulls out of the parable and he looks at us and he looks at his first century audience and here's what he says. For the people of this world, that is the people who live their lives as if all there is to life is this life. The people who live as if it's only about birth certificate and a death certificate. The people that live as if all you see is all there is and all you get. The people of this world, he said, are more shrewd. That is, they are more thoughtful. They think things through better. 
They are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. And the people of the light, in that particular context, Jesus was talking about the Jewish people who had eternal promise from God. That God was going to do something fabulous through their nation. He's saying that the people who had the covenants, the people who have promises of God, sometimes aren't as thoughtful and don't think things through as well as people that just assume that all there is to life is this life. And then this is expanded to those of us who put our faith in Jesus. Anyone who believes that there's more to life than life, that there's life beyond this life, he says the people in this world, oftentimes, they think it through better than those of us who think in terms of, or supposed to think in terms of, eternity. Those who live within, or who are supposed to live within a broader context. The money manager was commended for taking full advantage of his limited time and his limited opportunity. Jesus' point is the reason this guy was commended is not because he was dishonest. Please don't misunderstand. He was commended because he took full advantage of his little bit of time and his little bit of opportunity. So Jesus' point for you and for me is simply this, that we are to do the same. That when it comes to our money, when it comes to our wealth, when it comes to our income, we are to view it within the context, not simply of this life, but the broader context. And we are to ask the question, how do I get maximum use out of the small role, talent, resources, desires, money, purpose on this planet and the little bit of opportunity that comes my way? And then, just so we don't miss it, Jesus leans in and he gets very specific. And he gets so specific that the first time I actually understood the implications, it really was life-changing and life-shaping for me. Because Jesus now gives an imperative. He gives a command to those who claim to be his followers. Now, if you're not a Christian, I think there are great takeaways and opportunities here for you. But if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus leans in and he says, this is the command. Use, use your resources, your talents, your gifts, your desires, no matter how small or little or how large you think they are. Use them. Because it's a means to an end. Because your money, your resources, your talents, they're all a tool. Use worldly wealth, to which you might be inclined to say, what kind of other wealth is there? Which is a good question. That means you're paying attention. But Jesus says, use your worldly wealth. This is the command. To gain friends for yourself. Like the money manager did. So that when it's gone, because it will be gone, when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Wow. The implications are there's something we can do with temporary wealth, with temporary resources, talents, desires, gifts, that, that during this little slot of time that we have in life, that can make an eternal difference. Jesus' point is clear that your money and your possessions, my money, my possessions, is a means. It's not the end. It's the means to an end that goes beyond us. And it even goes beyond this life. Our right now resources have the potential to make a forever difference. It's a means to an end. Jesus would say, it's a tool. 
It means that I should view and that you should view not a percentage of what you have as something that you should make available to God, to your Heavenly Father. It means that we should view 100% of what we have as a potential means to an end. In other words, the question that we should begin to ask as Jesus followers, in fact, I would encourage you to ask this question even if you're not a Jesus follower. The question that we should all ask at some level is how can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that's not for me? How can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that is outside of what benefits me? Because as most of you already know, because all of us have experienced just enough of this to know, that is where joy is actually truly found. Some of you decided to give to this place, to give to Circle. I want you to know that what you have done is invested in every child that comes to faith, into every baptism story, every adult that gets reconnected with their heavenly father, every mom that drags her teenage son here, every wife that drags her husband in here, and they are confronted with something that is, that's life-changing. Their story is your story for the rest of your life. Life transformation at Circle doesn't happen without your investment into meaningful story. The four baptisms that we just experienced this month are your story because you invested in a meaningful way, using your money as a tool and resources to invest beyond yourself. So when we celebrate life transformation, we celebrate your part in the story. So way to go. Their story is a little part of your story. Stories of life transformation, marriages that come back together, kids that reconnect with prodigal parents, spouses that are reconnected. I mean, how do you compare stuff and money with these stories? Of course, we all have to make, we all have to make a living. We all have to pay our bills. We all have to get our kids through school. I get all that. I'm also doing that. I'm not advocating irresponsible living. I'm just saying, I think you should factor this in. What do you want? More stuff or more stories? Now here's Jesus' point. His point is simply this. Money can add meaning to your life when you use it as a means to an end that goes beyond you. But money, it is not the meaning of your life. And just one more thing. If you're, if you're to keep reading the story, you would see that the parable is not over. You would read that whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You see, Jesus is saying your habits will follow you from little to a lot. And I talked a lot about this in part two of our series. What you do with what you have now will follow you even if you have more. Your habit becomes who you are and what your heart actually wants. So Jesus continues. He says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Jesus' point is simply this, that no matter how much you have and no matter where, where you think it ultimately came from, that your money, your wealth, your possessions, my money, my wealth, my possessions, not only is it a means to an end, not only is it a tool, it's also a bit of a, well, it's a bit of a test as well. Because Jesus says and concludes the parable by saying, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one 
and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Friends, you belong to someone. Your heart will serve a master. So you have an option to use all that has been trusted to you to manage as a tool, to create something lasting and meaningful, be part of something that is added to your story because of your generosity, or to be short-sighted and have lots of stuff, but you can't do both. Many of you have taken the opportunity to take the money course that we have offered, the CAP course, Christians Against Poverty. It's a step to let money help you make things meaningful, but not let money become the meaning of your life. So here's the question I want to leave you with. If being a means to an end is what gives life meaning, if being a means to an end is what makes anything meaningful, then if something is not a means to an end, then it has no meaning. It has no purpose. To what ends do you want your life to be a means to an end? Simply in this series, we have asked these questions. What do you want people to celebrate about you when you're gone? And secondly, what breaks your heart right now? Are you doing something about it or just complaining about it? My friends, if you don't answer these questions on purpose, your appetites will eat you up. They'll eat up all your resources. Because even if I don't know you, I know what your appetites will say. Because my appetites say the same thing. They say it's all about me. It's all about accumulation, consumption, upgrades, fashion, a house full of stuff. That's the meaning of life, right? That's what it tells us. Nobody chooses this on purpose. Listen to me, friends. If you don't decide the ends to which you want your life to be a means, that is the direction your culture will actually pull you to. And you already know that. You don't want to spend another season of your life like that, do you? I know you don't. Nobody does. So join us in investing in meaningful stories of transformation. Begin to see your resources and your gifts as tools to bring meaning and hope. Join us in being part of life transformation. You will find hope and I venture to say joy.